You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker, and this is part two of the debate series um, for the uh, the second Democratic debate that we've had so far. So uh, if you haven't listened to night one's recap, I uh, encourage you to do so. Um, and then come back to this one and we'll get on, uh, with night two now. So, oh, before we get started too, um, my video got flagged for copyright on, uh, Facebook for the, uh, the, the first night. So the video is not going to be up on Facebook. I think I'm going to possibly drop the, uh, the long form video of my podcast. I think I'm just going to do the podcast in audio form, but what I may start doing um, is kind of like shorter form videos, like take one topic, do like a five minute um, video on that topic and then upload it to, uh, to, to YouTube or to uh, Facebook. I think I'm going to start doing that format instead of like the longer formats. I think that's going to get more views. Uh, I think most of my listeners are listening to this in audio form anyway. So I think that'll work out better, but just so you, you know, if you're looking for the video, that's why you don't see it, unfortunately. So yeah, I put all that work into it and it got flagged because of, uh, the video clips, I guess. So I'm going to stop doing that. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive into night number two of the debate. So night number two, the candidates that were on stage were Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Andrew Yang, Cory Booker, Jay Inslee, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, Michael Bennett, and uh, Bill de Blasio. So, night two recap. Here's my recap. Um, These are, in my opinion, these are the candidates that came away better um, from this night than they came in. So, they came out of the night better uh, than they came in. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was number one on my list. Obviously she, she had the, um, best viral moment of both nights. Um, so of night one and night two, this, her, her viral moment with, uh, Kamala Harris, which we'll get into here in just a bit, um, was by far the best one. She's had viral moments, um, in both of the debates so far. Um, the first debate, she had that viral moment with Tim Ryan. We covered that. And with this one with Kamala Harris, my God, that woman, knows how to shred somebody man she's good um the other candidates that i thought uh came out of the night better than they came in was uh, andrew yang um he actually had a uh, much better performance um than he did last time he had he actually had some talking time um now but uh he he tied every question that he got into his primary um kind of campaign push, which was his UBI plan, the the thousand dollars a month to every American citizen. He tied every single uh, question that was put towards him to that. Um, Cory Booker, 
um, is another one that I think came out better. He had his chance to go after Biden and he did it and he succeeded in my book. I think he, he's going to get a little bump in polling numbers for that. Uh, Julian Castro, uh, I put him in there just because he's he's I mean, he's got consistent, strong stage presence. Uh, in my view, um, he's just somebody that's consistently he he, he always uh, he's not afraid to pick a fight. And when he does, he seems pretty composed and and he uh, he seems to focus on the immigration topic a lot. And uh, he's pretty knowledgeable on that compared to the rest of the stage that, you know, they put together their plans. But if you kind of push him on it, they kind of break down. But this guy seems to uh, have his strong foothold in that subject. So I, I give him points for being consistently strong on stage. Um, my last candidate that I think came away better than they came in. This one's going to be surprising, uh, even for me, but for you to hear as well. I think Joe Biden came out of this stronger, which is going to be weird as we kind of move forward. And I go through some of the highlights of the night, you're going to see Biden field a lot of attacks. Um, but with that being said, I, I think he came out of the debate better than he came in. In all honesty, he he's just the only thing where you know bad about him. He's just so old. Uh, it's not the only thing bad about him, but it's just one of those things. It's just like, oh God, he's just so old. We'll get into that a little bit later too. He, he's, you know, he did a lot better. Uh, he had a lot more energy in this performance uh, than he did last one for sure. But um, man, he had his moments where his age just showed. Um. Who are the candidates that I think dropped um, and had a had a bad night? Um, I only had one candidate in this uh, in this category, and that was Kamala Harris. Boy, she was the biggest loser of the night by far, which was surprising because I think she was one of the biggest winners of the first debate. Um, but she was the biggest loser by far. She had a really really bad night. Um, that kind of, it wasn't just the Tulsi Gabbard moment, even though that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for the night for her. (laughs) Um, but she, she kind of broke down. Uh, She got attacked several times, um, from Joe Biden, um, and some of the other candidates as well. Bill de Blasio, uh, attacked her a few times and she, she really wasn't able to field the attacks much. Um, I think I, I listened to, uh, I believe it was Ben Shapiro. He, he had a great take on like what Kamala Harris is and the best way to describe her is a paper tiger. I think he got that exactly right. She's fierce when she's on the offensive, but once she's on the defensive, boy, she just kind of huddles into a corner and just, she can't really push back at all. So I think the, the paper tiger example was great. Um, who are the candidates that we're likely to not see again, uh, who are likely to not get to the uh, debate stage? Um, and I'm going to kind of ignore these candidates um, during my, uh, my my coverage of this night just because they're just so forgettable and they didn't really have a, a, big, a big moment at all. So I'm not really going to talk about them a lot. And those candidates are Kirsten Gillibrand, Michael Bennett, Jay Inslee, and the groundhog murderer himself, Bill de Blasio. Yes, he killed a groundhog. You can go Google that. <laughs> Although it is sad to see and sad to know that the groundhog did in fact die. He did kill a groundhog. <laughs> uh, but th- those are the four that I don't think we, I don't think we see Gillibrand again. I don't think she makes it to the next debate. Definitely not Michael Bennett and Jay Inslee. Uh, and 100% for sure not Bill de Blasio because that guy is one of the most unlikable human beings on the stage for both nights. 
the the city that he's the mayor of even hates him and that's a he's obviously from new york so when you have a deep blue state like new york that hates you and the city that hates you and you get up onto the debate stage with a bunch of democrats and they don't even like you you're you're a just extremely unlikable human being it's probably the groundhog thing nobody likes a groundhog killer um, all right, so let's let's get into it. The theme of the night was um, Joe Biden and Obama versus everyone else, which is kind of a weird thing to hear. You know, you think of uh, uh, Keaton, uh, Joe Biden and Obama aren't in office. So why do you have uh, Obama against everybody? Well, because actually, surprisingly, a lot of the candidates were really trashing Obama's policies. And like I said before, um, I believe I said this during my coverage of the first night, this, this is no longer the party of Barack Obama, which is really surprising because I've seen a lot of articles written about this. It was just like, you see all these candidates trashing Joe Biden on his policies during the uh, Obama administration. So by proxy, they're attacking Obama and his policies. And uh, this was really surprising to see on the debate stage. Um, again, this kind of from the first night, I said that this was this was going to carry over to the second one. But this moderate versus progressive battle continued. Uh, and there were many more progressives than moderates on this stage on this night. So as, as you can imagine, Joe Biden being the you know most prominent moderate on the stage. He, he's the current polling leader as well. He fielded a bunch of attacks, but luckily for Biden, he was much better uh, this night um, with this performance than he was during his first performance. He defended himself well. He, he launched attacks of his own uh, at his progressive counterparts that just like I said before, the biggest thing go- going against Joe Biden is Joe Biden um, and his age, man, his age just catches up to him. Uh, at times I just, I honestly kind of felt bad for Joe Biden listening to him. I mean, at times I was like, Hey, Joe Biden's actually, he's, he's making some pretty decent points. He's sticking up for himself. And then up oh, there's old Joe, there's old, what's a computer. <sighs> so let's go into a couple of the, uh, let's listen to the, some of the highlights of the night. Okay. I've got a couple different highlight clips that we can listen to. The first one I'm going to start with. Um, since I'm not going to really talk about Andrew Yang a lot, I wanted to kind of put his opening statement in here. Cause I thought it was, uh, it was something that kind of tied together his whole performance throughout the, throughout the night. Like I said, everything kind of tied back to this UBI statement. So let's take a look at Andrew Yang's uh, opening statements. Someone is running for president who wants to give every American $1,000 a month. I know this may sound like a gimmick, but this is a deeply American idea from Thomas Paine to Martin Luther King to today. Let me tell you why we need to do it and how we pay for it. Why do we need to do it? We already automated away millions of manufacturing jobs, and chances are your job could be next. If you don't believe me, just ask an auto worker here in Detroit. How do we pay for it? Raise your hand in the crowd if you've seen stores closing where you live. It is not just you. Amazon is closing 30% of America's stores and malls and paying zero in taxes while doing it. We need to do the opposite of much of what we're doing right now. And the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes masks. 
<laughs> so let me share the math. $1,000 a month for every adult would be $461 million every month right here in Detroit alone. The automation of our jobs is a central challenge facing us today. It is why Donald Trump is our president, and any politician not addressing it is failing the American people. So there you have it. That is Andrew Yang's opening statements. And every single question that was put to him during the debates always went back to that UBI, that $1,000 a month. It was just a healthcare questions with healthcare costs. Boy, $1,000 a month might help you with that. Climate change, $1,000 a month will help you move to higher ground. <laughs> I mean, he said that. He did say that in his closing statements. He was like, climate change is a big deal. I'm giving you $1,000 a month to move to higher ground. Better get to it. Vote me in. <laughs> yes, he said that. Automation taking jobs, $1,000 a month will help keep Americans on their feet while they retrain for new skills. I mean, this was his strategy the entire night. I think he, I mean, I think it worked for him. Um, he, he I don't like Andrew Yang's policies, but like as a person, he just kind of comes across as like a smart, genuine tech entrepreneur. I mean, he, he definitely is uh, one of the more trustworthy guys on the stage for sure, just because he's not a politician. Um, I, I thought his uh, interview with Ben Shapiro was really, really good too on the Sunday special. If you haven't listened to his interview there, um, Ben obviously disagrees with his UBI um, proposal, but it is still very, very good interview. Uh, I think Yang's a decent person. Uh, the, the next, uh, clip I have for you is, um, this, this Republican talking point. Uh, this is like the new progressive dodge tactic, right? So stop with the Republican talking points. We, we saw it in the first night with Elizabeth Warren and we see it again here with Kamala Harris. When the progressives have no answer, just claim that your opponent is using, Republican talking points. <laughs> Never mind the fact that they're coming from uh, another Democrat on stage with you. So let's take a listen to this. Healthcare or not. Thank you, Secretary Castro. Senator Harris, Senator Bennett had suggested that you support banning employer-based health insurance. Is that true? Well, first of all, I, with all due respect to my friend, Michael Bennett, uh, my plan is, does not offer anything that is illegal. Um, what it does is it separates the employer from health care, meaning that where you work will not be a, where, the kind of health care you get will not be a function of where you work. I have met so many Americans who stick to a job that they do not like, where they are not prospering, simply because they need the health care that that employer provides. It's time that we separate employers from the kind of health care people get. And under my plan, we do that. As it relates to the insurance and the pharmaceutical you, companies, Senator who will not be called in and who will not be taken to task by Senator Biden or Senator Bennett's you, Senator. plan, we will do that. Senator Bennett, I want to bring you back. Senator Harris is my friend as well. But I have to say, if we can't admit, if we can't admit tonight what's in the plan, which is banning employer-based insurance, we're not going to be able to admit that when Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of doing that as well. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. It bans employer-based insurance and taxes the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion. Do you know how much that is? That is 70% of what the government will collect in taxes over the next 10 years. Thank we you, don't Senator. need to do that. Governor, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I, I do want to care in this country. I do want to bring in Senator I, Harris because he just suggested you were not being honest. He, it, it, we cannot 
keep with the Republican talking points on this. You gotta stop. The reality is that what, under my Medicare for all plan, Yes, employers are not going to be able to dictate the kind of health care that their employees get. They will be able to make that decision. Private insurance companies and private carriers, if they comply by our rules and play by our rules, will be able to offer those employees health care coverage under a private Medicare plan, or they can have the option of a public Medicare plan. But it is misleading to suggest that employees want what their employer is offering only. They want choice, and Thank my you. plan gives that to them. Thank you, Senator. Governor Inslee, I want to bring you in. <laughs> so there you have it. The Republican talking points from the other side saying that my plan doesn't have choice when, yeah, my plan has choice. I'm going to take all the other choices away and just give you one choice. That's the best choice is when you only have one choice. See, it's a, it's much easier to make a decision when you only have one choice, right? The government option plan. <laughs> by, by the way, is, is Michael Bennett the, the voice of the teacher on South Park? I, I mean, just, <laughs> just take a look, take a listen to Michael Bennett. Based insurance. We're not going to be able to admit that when Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of doing that as well. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you hear that. There's your baseline. Now listen to this. Now, as I was saying, uh, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Uh, if you do them, you're bad because drugs are bad. Okay. It's a bad thing to do drugs. So don't be bad by doing drugs. Okay. That'd be bad. So I, I just hope that's in your head now forever. Every time you hear Michael Bennett talk, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna hear drugs are bad, okay? Because <laughs> that's all I can hear. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, next clip I have for you. So the this one is with um, Biden went on the offensive against the kind of progressive um, Medicare for all plan, specifically with uh, Kamala Harris. So let's take a listen on that. Senators had several plans so far, and uh, anytime someone tells you you're going to get something good in 10 years, you should wonder why it takes 10 years. If you notice, there's no talk about the fact that the plan in 10 years will cost $3 trillion. You will lose your employer-based insurance. And in fact, you know, this is the single most important issue facing the public. And to be very blunt and to be very straightforward, you can't beat President Trump with double talk on this plan. Your response, Senator Harris? Absolutely. Unfortunately, Vice President Biden, you're just simply inaccurate in what you're describing. The reality is that our plan will bring health care to all Americans under a Medicare for all system. Our plan will allow people to start signing up on the first day. Babies will be born into our plan. And right now, four million babies almost are born every day in America or every year in America. Under our plan, we will ensure that everyone has access to health care. Your plan, by contrast, leaves out almost 10 million Americans. So I think that you should really think about what you're saying, but be reflective and understand that the people of America want access to health care and do not want cost to be their barrier to getting it. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, your response? The plan, no matter how you cut it, costs $3 trillion when it is, in fact, employed. Number one, 10 years from now, after two terms of the senator being president, after her time. Secondly, it will require middle-class taxes to go up, not down. Thirdly, it will eliminate employer-based insurance. 
And fourthly, what happens in the meantime? I'd like to respond. First of all, the cost of doing nothing is far too expensive. Second, we are now paying $3 trillion a year for healthcare in America. Over the next 10 years, it's probably going to be $6 trillion. We must act. My plan is about immediately allowing people to sign up and get into coverage. Right now in America, we have seniors who every day, millions of seniors, are going into the Medicare system. And they are getting full coverage and the kind of coverage they need. All people should have access to health care and, and costs should Thank not you, be there. Thank you, Senator Harris. So, I mean, there was Joe Biden on the offensive. And, and that was kind of... Uh... Something we hadn't seen yet from Joe Biden, especially since his extremely poor performance um, in the first debate. Um, Another highlight I had was with uh, (laughs) this was kind of Cory Booker's viral moment um, that he got. Um, This was Booker and uh, Joe Biden kind of sparring over criminal justice. Let's take a listen to this. We have a system right now that's broken. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. Because all of the problems that he is talking about that he created, I actually led the bill that got passed into law that reverses the damage that your bills, that you were, frankly, to correct you, Mr. Vice President, you were bragging, calling it the Biden crime bill up till thank, 2015. Thank you, Senator. Vice President. So uh, let me interject here. This was Biden and Obama's bill. So when he's talking about like when you want to um, compare records and I'm surprised you do with all the problems on your record, that's Obama's record, too. So this was like this kind of ties back to what I was saying. An attack on Biden is a proxy attack on Obama's policies, which was really surprising to see on stage. President Biden. Number one, the bill he talks about is a bill that, in my, our administration, we passed. We passed that bill that you added on to. That's the bill, in Mm -hmm. fact, you passed. And the fact of the matter is, secondly, there was nothing done for the entire eight years he was mayor. There was nothing done to deal with the police department that was corrupt. Why did you announce in the first day a zero-tolerance policy of stop and frisk and hire Rudy Giuliani's guy in 2007 when I was trying to get rid of the crack cocaine. Uh, Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you, need to, you need to come to the city of Newark and see the reforms that we put in place. The New Jersey head of the ACLU has said that I embraced reforms, not just in action, but in deeds. So you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. I've never heard that saying, but okay. (laughs) So you heard the crowd kind of chuckle and laugh at that, but uh, it's kind of a weird wonky statement, but okay, whatever. (laughs) I guess that was a slam, (laughs) a Kool-Aid slam. (laughs) They needed the Kool-Aid guy coming through the, oh yeah, right after that one. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, Julian Castro also had a, uh, a, a moment with Biden. They were kind of sparring about decriminalization, uh, over illegal border crossings. And, and this exchange was very interesting to me. This is why I kind of added it in my highlight reel. Um, th- these are two gentlemen, 
Julian Castro and Joe Biden that were in the Obama administration. They were both a part of the Obama administration. Castro was the, the HUD secretary. And of course, Biden was the VP. So it was very interesting to see both of them uh, go at it. And especially with what uh, Castro tells Biden. Here, let's take a listen. Castro, please yeah, respond. Uh, first of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. Let me begin by telling you. Let me just start out by answering that question. My immigration plan would also fix the broken legal immigration system because we do have a problem with that. Secondly, the only way that we're going to guarantee that these kinds of family separations don't happen in the future is that we need to repeal this law. There's still going to be consequences if somebody crosses the border. It's a civil action. Also, we have 654 miles of fencing. We have thousands of personnel at the border. We have uh, planes. We have Secretary, boats. We have helicopters. We have security Secretary cameras. Castro, what we need you. are politicians that actually up. have some. All right. So there we go. So that that kind of uh, one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one hasn't. And uh, I know I'm not filming the video for this, but if you go look at the, the clip for this, Joe Biden is just looking like, I, I can't believe that they are attacking Obama's policies like this. Even Obama's HUD secretary going after him on that. Obama's immigration policies. Very, very interesting. Uh, the next and the next highlight I have with uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, like she is very forgettable. She only had one moment, I guess she. Um, so Kirsten Gillibrand tried to take an opportunity to go after Joe Biden since everyone was kind of <laughs> punching up. Right. Which is normal. And, and uh, in this kind of environment, especially since he's the polling leader. So everyone's punching up. So Kirsten Gillibrand's like, I got to get in on this. So she goes after Joe Biden on an old editorial that he wrote on childcare. But um, unfortunately for Gillibrand, it kind of backfired and turned into one of Biden's kind of like counterattack viral moments. One of of Joe Biden's kind of fiery moments uh, that he had during the debates. He wrote in op-ed was that he believed that uh, women working outside the home would, quote, create the deterioration of family. Um, he also said that women who were working outside the home were, quote, avoiding responsibility. And I just need to understand, as a woman who's worked my entire career as the primary wage earner, as the primary caregiver, in fact, the second, my second son, Henry, is here. And I had him uh, when I was a member of Congress. So under Vice President Biden's analysis, am I serving in Congress, resulting in the deterioration of the family because I had access to quality, affordable daycare? I just want to know what he meant when he said that. That was a long time ago, and here's what it was about. It would have given people making today $100,000 a year a tax break for childcare. I did not want that. I wanted the child care to go to people making less than $100,000, and that's what it was about. 
The fact of the matter is, the situation is one that I don't know what's happened. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act, Lily Ledbetter. I was deeply involved in making sure there are the equal pay amendments. I was deeply involved in all these things. I came up with the It's On Us proposal to see to it that women were treated more decently on college campuses. You came to Syracuse University with me and said it was wonderful. I'm passionate about the concern making sure women are treated equally. I don't know what's happened except that you're now running for president. So I understand. Mr. Vice President. <laughs> I don't understand what's happened except that now you're running for president. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you have an issue. <laughs> so, I mean, good for Joe trying to stick up for himself. I mean, he he dominated the talking time simply because he was fielding so many attacks. Um Let's let's talk about since we talked about Kirsten Gillibrand, I'll give I'll give one more highlight to somebody that we're never going to see again. And that is Groundhog Killer Bill de Blasio. So this is let's take a listen to how Bill de Blasio, he, he came out swinging against both Joe Biden and Harris, just desperation haymakers um, trying to make the case that he is the real person who wants to restructure society as a whole. I mean, he comes across as just a desperate loser. Take a listen to this. Now, tonight, we have to get to the heart and soul of who we are as Democrats. There are good people on this stage, but there are real differences. Joe Biden told wealthy donors that nothing fundamentally would change if he were president. Kamala Harris said she's not trying to restructure society. Well, I am. For 40 years, working people have taken it on the chin in this country. For 40 years, the rich have gotten richer, and they've paid less and less in taxes. It cannot go on this way. When I'm president, we will even up the score, and we will tax the hell out of the wealthy to make this a fairer country and to make sure it's a country that puts working people first. So the kind of... Um, the crowd noise that you heard from there. There was actually some, um, some protests that happened in the middle of the debates and it was mainly aimed at de Blasio, even though, uh, I know Cory Booker was interrupted at one point. Um, but so was Bill de Blasio here at the end of this clip. And it was mainly the, the protesters were calling for the firing of the, um, police officer that killed Eric Gartner, uh, five years ago, uh, in New York. Um, which apparently I didn't even know that guy is still on the force, I guess. So, uh, rightly so they're still, they're, they're protesting for his firing. Um, so that's, that's why you heard that little crowd noise at the end. They, they protested, there, there was two different moments in the middle of the debate where, um, candidates were interrupted, uh, with that. So, I mean, with Bill de Blasio, he, like I said, he comes across as a desperate loser um, in this entire debate. He was constantly throwing haymakers. He, it was very obvious that he was just trying to make something stick. And de Blasio just, he separated himself from the pack during the night, but not in a good way. It was more of like the, this guy is never getting anywhere close to the White House kind of way. So Bill de Blasio is done. That's the last time we see Groundhog Killer. Thank God. Um... Let's move on. I know I said that Joe Biden had a pretty, I mean, it wasn't a good night. Okay. But it wasn't a terrible night. 
All right. He had a, a media, he survived. Okay. He had better energy. He was actually able to, um, defend himself pretty well. He launched some uh, attacks of his own at Kamala Harris, which is kind of like his public enemy. Number one, especially since the first debate, um, she really beat him down and he didn't really fight back at all. So this was a better night for him. And uh, things were going generally pretty well, even though he's fielding a lot of attacks throughout the night until this moment, Joe Biden just goes full out of touch, old person mode and completely flubs his closing statement. It was probably the funniest moment of the entire debate. So let's listen to uh, Joe Biden's closing statement as he just goes full old person. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. We have to let him know who we are. We choose science over fiction. We choose hope over fear. We choose unity over division. And we choose, we choose the idea that we can, as Americans, when we act together, do anything. This is the United States of America. When we've acted together, we have never, never, never been unable to overcome whatever the problem was. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I was laughing so hard. I was like, at first I was like, wait, what did he just say? Go to, I was like, go to Joe. And then he listed off just a bunch of numbers. <laughs> so if you haven't been able to put it together yet, obviously what Joe Biden meant to say was to text the word Joe to three, zero, three, three, zero for support for his campaign. But of, of course the internet had a field day with this. So, you know, everyone on Twitter and on social media was like, I'm trying to go to Joe30330.com like Joe Biden said, and it doesn't exist. <laughs> but uh, like, this was the thing, like old person staring at computer memes, flooded Twitter, uh, and even a domain race began. So people were quickly trying to go and buy the domain Joe30330.com. <laughs> and hilariously enough, Joe Biden's campaign team were beat to the punch and didn't get the domain. So of course, like someone was immediately, I even went to, uh, to go daddy immediately to went, I was like, wait, what did he just say to go to Joe three Oh three, three Oh. So I went to like go daddy to see if it was taken and, and someone had already gotten it. And so someone was very, very fast. And so I thought it was very funny. I'll kind of go over these quickly, but, um, <laughs> there were different versions purchased. So the, the original link, the Joe30330.com goes to just some random page that a guy bought. And, uh, it's like, it's just like a parody page. It's just Josh for America. And it's just kind of got his picture and <laughs> some donate buttons. <laughs> He's like selling some merch and stuff. Um, there's different versions of the numbers on the .com <laughs> So Joe three, three Oh three Oh goes to, um, Pete Buttigieg site. <laughs> so someone bought that domain and just linked it to, to, uh, Pete's campaign. Uh, Joe three Oh three, three goes to some real estate company and, <laughs> and their front page says, Joe Biden messed up his marketing. You don't have to mess up yours. And so <laughs> they got their real estate company on there. And just like 
all these different versions of the numbers. It was so funny to just see Twitter go off on this. It was just the perfect internet moment. And it was just the perfect way for Sleepy Joe, old Joe Biden, to end on a strong note (laughs) on a night that he was doing fairly well in. You know, his campaign advisors were like, well, man, he he went through a slug there. He got attacked a lot, but he, I think he held his own pretty well. He de- he launched some good attacks. We just need to end this thing strong. Come on, Joe, tell him to just text Joe. And he's like, "Go to Joe 33030 and pledge your support." <laughs> oh god. All right. Let's move on to the best part of the entire night. And of course I said, we were going to get to it. We're going to get to it. And we're going to spend the rest of our time on this just because there's a lot to unpack here. Tulsi Gabbard, absolutely torching Kamala Harris on her brutal record. So this was so bad that it immediately started trending on Twitter that night. And, uh, well, let's go ahead and take a listen to this because this was just fantastic. Congresswoman Gabbard, you took issue with Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a, quote, false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place. That impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. Listen to that crowd. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about reentering former offenders and getting them counseling. It is why, and because I know that criminal justice system is so broken, that I am an advocate for what we need to do to not only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in. You're responsible. The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, you owe them an apology. Ooh, Tulsi Gabbard laying down the hammer on Kamala Harris. 
Now, Harris supporters immediately went to blame Russia for the trending hashtag after this. I, I think the hashtag was something like Kamala destroyed or, or something along those lines. These people are so predictable and so out of touch. Like, something happened that I don't like or, or my candidate is being attacked for something that is completely true. Everything that she said about Harris, and I'm going to dive into a few examples of how bad Kamala Harris was locking up minorities and brutally um, extending and pursuing the biggest uh, sentences for minor crimes that she could. She prided herself. You heard her say it. She was proud of the work she did. Everything she said that was true. Oh, it must have been Russia that started this hashtag. Don't take it seriously. This giant discredit campaign came out from the uh, Kamala Harris supporters, as well as the mainstream media. I'll dive into the mainstream media, how they started to um, do damage control for Kamala Harris after this, after she just totally got destroyed on that. But let's this exchange made me so happy to finally see Kamala Harris get knocked down a peg. She's just a I'll tell you what she is. She's a dirty cop running for president. That's what Kamala Harris is. A dirty cop running for president. She panders to the black vote, even though she has a brutal history of locking up black and other minorities for small crimes and pursuing, like I said, strong sentences for those small crimes. Kamala's brutal history can be found with a simple Google search. So go look at it for yourself. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to go over a few specific um, instances, uh, right here. So let me pull up here. Well, well, let's just start with this. Let's start with, um, Kamala Harris locking up, like Tulsi said, she locked up thousands of people, particularly specifically minorities for the most part. She locked up thousands of minorities for the egregious crime of smoking marijuana. Then when she was taking an interview with the breakfast club. Okay. She did an interview with the breakfast club. She laughed about the fact that she smoked marijuana in college. So the person who brutally went after minorities and threw them in jail and gave them strong sentences for smoking marijuana laughs about smoking marijuana in college. Listen to this. Don't take my word for it. Take it straight from Kamala Harris's mouth. So that needs to be addressed also. But I am absolutely in favor of legalizing marijuana. We've got to do it. We've been, we have incarcerated so many, in particular young you men have. and young men of color. You um, have. In a way that we have not for the same level of use, other young men. Mm-hmm. And we've got to deal with that in addition to dealing with the fact that um, not all drugs are the same. And when we're talking about marijuana, look, I have forever been an advocate for medicinal marijuana. I have personally known people who only benefited from its use. So there are a lot of reasons why we need to legalize. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. And I and I inhale. I didn't. I did inhale. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but now, yes. I know you have to go. They say you have to go. I just want to. I just broke news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it in college? Uh huh. See, see, I like stuff like that. That's a real <laughs> honest answer. Yeah. Was it a blunt or joint? It was a joint. Hey. Yeah. You remember the high? <laughs> I do. So if it was legalized all throughout the country and <laughs> medicinal. Would- so there, listen to that, man. That's a person who brutally went after people and threw, ruined people's lives with felonies, laughing about that she did the same thing in college. Whoa. 
Man, that makes my blood boil. Here, here's a few more examples of decisions by uh, that Kamala Harris made that um, she could have challenged bad cops and freed black people who were unfairly treated by the criminal uh, criminal justice system in many cases, but she chose not to. So here, instance number one, she fought against forcing cops to wear body cameras around the state of California. She said that it should be left up to uh, leaders and individual agencies. Uh, as a prosecutor, Harris refused to hand over the names of officers involved in police misconduct. Then the San Francisco public defender argued that the DA shouldn't get to decide what information should be released. Here's another one. In February, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered new DNA testing in the 1983 murder case of Kevin Cooper. Cooper came within hours of execution in 2004 after being charged with the murder of an adult couple and two children. Harris opposed the testing when she was the state's attorney general. So this is the thing is DNA testing for this murder case. He was pleading innocence. There was a lot the jury actually found that there was insufficient like uh, th there could be additional information brought up to actually get this guy off of death row. And she opposed the additional DNA testing. Here's another one. In one of her final cases be uh, before becoming a senator, Harris's office decided not to prosecute the L.A. County Sheriff's Department in the disappearance of Matrice Richardson, a woman who was found dead after she she was suspiciously. Goodness gracious. I'm sorry about that. Who A woman who was found dead after she was suspiciously released from police custody. In 2015, a judge refused to indict a man facing life in prison after it was discovered that a California prosecutor had falsified the defendant's confession. Harris appealed, arguing that falsifying the confession wasn't necessarily prosecutorial misconduct. Harris only changed her stance on this after the judge threatened to name names and federal judges accused California prosecutors of engaging in an epidemic of prosecutorial prosecutorial. Oh, I can't say that word misconduct under Harris's watch as attorney general. So she had a brutal history. I recommend that you go and look at it for yourself and just see how what a scumbag. What a scumbag Kamala Harris is. Man, I, I do not, if you can't tell, I do not like this woman. Probably my least favorite person on the stage. By far, both nights. Least favorite person. Just because of the hypocrisy, man. Like, you're not, you're messing with people's lives like that. You're ruining people's lives. Pursuing your own goals. So uh, CNN and MSNBC desperately scrambled to come to Kamala's aid after this beatdown from Tulsi. They, they were they were scrambling for damage control. OK, so here's the uh, CNN interview right after the debates asking her about the attack. And then Kamala kind of does some low blows against Tulsi. And we'll kind of go over that. Some of the toughest critique uh, or, or attacks at you came from Tulsi Gabbard. Mm -hmm. uh, just for our viewers who haven't seen it, I just want to play some of that and, and, uh, and, and have you respond. Okay. 
I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to skip this since we already listened to it. But by the way, I, I recommend that you go and you listen to the CNN interview and watch it because it is it was wonderful to watch this beatdown of Kamala Harris live on TV, but it was even better watching her watch it back and on this CNN interview. So you see like they do like the picture in picture of her listening to her just get absolutely shredded and just her face is just amazing. But I'm going to skip ahead here. And here we go. Did you did you expect that uh, from Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, had had you had interaction about that in the past? And how do you think it went? Well, I mean, listen, I this is going to sound immodest, but I'm obviously a top tier candidate, and so I did expect <laughs> that I would be on the stage and take hits tonight. Because you're not a, a top tier candidate. Trying to make the stage for the next debate. Right. Yeah, it's do, the, for a lot of them, it's do or die. Well, yeah, and especially when people are at zero, one percent, or whatever she might be at. And so I did expect that I might take hits tonight. Um, but you know, listen, I think that um, this coming from someone who has been an apologist for uh, a, 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 an individual, Assad, who has murdered um, the people of his of his country to, like cockroaches. Um, she who has embraced and been an apologist for him in a way that she refuses to call him a war criminal. Um, I, I can only take what she says in her opinion so seriously. So two things there. She went and was just like, I can't take her seriously because of her poll numbers. So she kind of like brushed off her poll. Oh, whatever. She's like zero or 1% she's polling. So who really cares about what she's the thing about this entire situation here is what's the one thing Kamala Harris doesn't do. She doesn't give any answers to what Tulsi actually brought up. And she didn't even apologize for those brutal things that she did. In fact, she did the opposite. When she was called out for it, she said she was proud of the work she did. And then she goes off on the low blow, which you'll see. We're going to go into this a little bit. I've talked about it before, but Tulsi Gabbard, one of the things that the mainstream media and these and the neocons and, and all of these war hawking Democrats, what they'll do is they'll go after Tulsi Gabbard because she's not for war with Syria. She doesn't want war with Syria. She is. She's a veteran. She's she's been in. She's served for 18 years, I believe. And she doesn't want war with Syria. And she questions the the gas attacks in Syria, which as more evidence comes out, it looks more and more like a false flag attack. I, I talked about this on several episodes ago, but the OWPA or whatever, they, they came out saying that they withheld evidence. They withheld uh, evidence um, saying that the chemical shells or whatever were launched from a helicopter when in fact it looks like the canisters were walked up and placed there. They actually had like specialists from um, universities that were in for... They were specialists in explosives and ballistics, and they looked at the place where the shells landed, and they were like, "No, this isn't, this isn't right for a shell landing on top of a building like this." And the the canister was barely damaged. They said it, that it would have the canister would have much more damage if it actually went through the concrete of the building and landed inside the building, and then released the chemical. They said it was much more likely that it was placed there 
rather than launched out of a helicopter. And so since she questions this talking point from the media, they call her an Assad apologist. There is, and I'm going to quickly go over this here, there is absolutely no history of Tulsi Gabbard apologizing for Assad or protecting Assad in any way. She's not defending Assad. She calls him a dictator. Okay, he's a brutal dictator. Yes. But is he gassing his own people like cockroaches and killing his own people like cockroaches? No. There's there's little to no evidence that Assad has actually done those things. In fact, the evidence is mounting that he didn't and that it's a false flag attack from the uh, the Syrian rebels that the CIA and the U.S. are arming for a civil war in, uh, in, uh, in Syria. So this is all just a bunch of BS. Now listen, look at the links that MSNBC goes to to kind of uh, do damage control for Tulsi, or not for Tulsi, against Tulsi Gabbard for Kamala Harris during this. They go full front on the uh, Assad apologist train. Someone, do you not believe that the same could be said for your meeting with Bashar al-Assad? I don't know how you could equate that. that We're talking would, that about a president that with, is directly... That you would be meeting with the leader of Syria who could feasibly be responsible for the killings of over half a million people who ordered the chemical attacks oh, on no, children diplomacy. in his own country? I will we need never war. apologize for doing all that I can to prevent more of my brothers and sisters in uniform from being sent into harm's way to fight another regime change war, the likes of which we have seen in Iraq and Libya and Syria that have taken so many of our service members' lives, that has taken so many of our taxpayer dollars out of the pockets of people in this country, people who are suffering, people in places like Detroit, like Flint, Michigan, communities across this country, what to speak of the suffering that's been caused. So if that means meeting with a dictator, meeting with an adversary in order to accomplish that mission of keeping the American people safe, making sure our troops are not continuing to be sent on these wasteful wars, putting their lives at risk and making sure we've got the resources for the American people, I'll do what is necessary. And frankly, that's the kind of commander in chief we need that truly has the courage, just as we've seen in our country's past, how, you know, President Kennedy met with Khrushchev, how Roosevelt not only met with Stalin, a murderous dictator so who killed see, millions though, the of people. Then excuse me, sorry, let me finish. Who met not only with Stalin, who killed millions of people, but actually allied with him. Why? Because it was in the best interest of our country and the American people and to bring about an end to that war. So, no, if it means meeting with dictators, if it means working so with people who do people things like that we Stalin find or abhorrent. meeting with Bashar al-Assad, but not necessarily meeting with the leader of, leader of Saudi Arabia or supporting or, or, having, not, meet, or, or having a relationship sure, with them. Sure. You're, you're, you're uh, making, you're mixing two different things up. I'm talking about having a meeting. I, I don't think for, I'm mixing for, two different things up. I'm just trying to get clarity on it because there seems sure. to be some inconsistencies in your views of there, it. There's no inconsistency whatsoever. Having a meeting for the pursuit of our national security and peace is one thing. I would meet with the leader of Saudi Arabia, with leaders of Iran, with leaders of North Korea in that pursuit of national. This is, this is just such a pro. This is such a pro-war propaganda hit job right here. What do you mean you're willing to? They did the same thing when Donald Trump went to meet Kim Jong Un. Oh my God! I can't believe he's going to meet with a brutal dictator that has nukes. Wow! This guy's just a terrible human being. Yes, two things can be true at once. Yes, Kim Jong Un is a terrible, brutal dictator that has murdered 
countless lives uh, of his own people. The other thing can also be true. Is it better to increase tensions with a country that has nuclear weapons or to build relationships and to build relations and to just keep... I've said this before. Countries that talk to each other tend not to nuke each other. So isn't it a good thing for to side on the side of diplomacy rather than just doing this pro-regime change war BS that these MSNBC pieces of crap always choose to push? security, keeping the American people in safe. The difference between that and what Donald Trump has done and continues to do is he has cozied up, allied with, and supported Saudi Arabia in their support of al-Qaeda and in support of this genocidal war in Yemen that continues to this day, an illegal war that Congress has not authorized, that's killed thousands of innocent Yemeni people. This is absolutely true. The U.S. and Donald Trump this war started on Obama's watch and has carried over through Trump's presidency. Okay, this thing in Yemen, essentially we're supporting Al-Qaeda, or we're supporting Saudi Arabia, which supports Al-Qaeda. We're basically flying as Al-Qaeda's air force. It's pretty ridiculous. And that's caused millions more to suffer. So, so I hear so you're you, talking I, about two very different you things on, here, but hear, you know what? These, I hear these you are on issues. This congresswoman. I hear, I hear you on this. I hear you on this. So I, I want to go. No, go you with this don't. For a so when sitting down with someone like Bashar al-Assad uh, in Syria, do you confront him directly and say, why do you order chemical attacks on your own people? Why do you cause the killings of over half a million people? In There's your not country? even evidence for that. Look, you know, I, I want to break this down to what I mean, we're really talking about. It's really a yes about. or no uh, answer. No, do you no, confront no, him I, I want to break this to down to what it? we're talking about here today because you're talking about a meeting that took place, what, three years ago? Well, Congressman, and every you're time leading I come your, back, no, every well, time I come back here on MSNBC, so, no, but I you guys talk to me about these issues. It sounds like these are talking points that Kamala Harris and her campaign are feeding you. It is. Because she's refusing to address the questions that were posed to her. Congresswoman, it's important, I think, for the American people to have context about your foreign policy issues and where you stand. If you're leading with foreign policy and you're running for the president of the United States, a meeting with Bashar al-Assad, which I'm sure you understand, is a very controversial meeting to take. Hence the reason why when you come on MSNBC, it is important for us to talk to you about that. And of course, every anchor has a different perspective and different questions to ask of you. Every so single time for three me, years. This is where the propaganda comes in, because I've, I've talked about this a lot for the last three years. And I've talked about how as a soldier, I served in a field medical unit in Iraq. So there you have it. And she is absolutely right. Listen to that propaganda machine roll, man. When it's more controversial to meet with Bashar al-Assad to try and decrease tensions in Syria than it is to engage in a full-scale civil war over there, to just for the fact, it's more controversial to meet for peace talks in MSNBC and CNN's eyes than it is to launch full-scale war in Syria. To be involved in war in Syria is not nearly as controversial as meeting with Bashar al-Assad to try and decrease tensions. Let that sink in. That's more controversial? You'd rather be happy flying as Saudi Arabia's air force in Yemen, supporting al-Qaeda, the group that did 9-11, in Syria... That's not nearly as controversial as peace talks. Listen to that propaganda machine roll, man. 
They are just straight up lying to you. They're programming you. That's their job. Their job is to lie to you and to program you. God, I hate them so much. MSNBC is just garbage. CNN, the same thing. They're both the same thing. Such garbage. <sighs> so Tulsi was right about Kamala Harris, and, and Harris had absolutely no comeback to that. Because what Tulsi said was true. It's hard to come back against the truth. While the Assad apologist attacks are just desperate lies for damage control. So who's the winner of the debate? Who was the winner? Well, um, Tulsi Gabbard was the most Googled candidate after the debate. Again, she holds that crown twice. Both debates, she was the most Googled candidate of her night. So props to Tulsi. But who was the true winner of the debate? I got to give this one to the Donald Trump. Why do I give it to Donald Trump again? I gave it to him the first time again, because this, the second debate, all right, both nights, this just cemented the fact that this is just a terrible group, guys. This is just a terrible group of people. When your best chance to beat Donald Trump condenses down to probably sleepy Joe Biden and Pocahontas herself, you're going to have a bad time. You're getting closer and closer to Trump 2020. That's what's going to happen. You think sleepy Joe Biden or Pocahontas is going to take down Trump? No, it's not going to happen. If those are your answers, you're going to get Trump for another four years. So let's look ahead. Let's see who is qualified for the next debate in, in, uh, excuse me, not December, September. The next debate is in September. So who is already qualified for the debate? Uh, Well, we have Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and Beto O'Rourke. Now, all right, so those are eight candidates that are already qualified. Okay, now. We do have Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang that did meet the donation requirements. Okay. Now the next thing they have to do is they have to pull at at least 2% in four of the major polls. Once they reach that requirement, which I think both of them can do, then they will be added as well and will be up to 10 candidates. I really hope that they both make it in there because gosh, both of them. I, I, I like Yang just for his, um, sensibilities. And I mean, he just seems like a genuine, honest guy up there on the stage. And for Tulsi Gabbard, obviously for her message against this pro-war democratic push, um, they're both just a breath of fresh air in this progressive, crazy group that we have running for president. So that is my coverage of the second night. And boy, was it a doozy. I hope you guys enjoyed it, um, honestly. So again, like I said, I'm going to kind of um, quit doing the long form videos So I'm going to stick with the same request that I had at the end of my last one. If you haven't already, go check us out on Apple Podcasts. I want to bump up our five-star reviews. If you haven't already, if you're listening to us now, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you enjoyed listening to this this coverage. 
and um, I surely appreciate it. I'm trying to bump that up. Hopefully, we can get us uh, listed up higher on the uh, the news and media section. Um, but anyway, thank you guys for listening. Um, you can also listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher. Uh, also, be sure to visit our Facebook page. Send me any uh, things you want me to talk about. Have a good night, guys. I'll see you later.